Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to In For Life, the podcast. This is episode 135 called Rachel B. In For Life is supported by First Republic Bank. With a best-in-class banking app that allows you to bank anywhere, anytime, and a dedicated personal banker when you need one-on-one service, First Republic is uniquely positioned to offer the best of both worlds. With this combination of personal attention and convenience, it's no wonder that First Republic Bank has a client satisfaction rating two times the industry average. So whether you're opening a personal line of credit or planning for your retirement, you can count on First Republic to be there for you every step of the way. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender. Today's episode is brought to you by Family, the first and only 50-state fertility telehealth company with at-home hormone labs, one-to-one online clinical visits, and female and male treatment and medications sent straight to your front door. With upwards of 60% of infertility caused by hormonal imbalances, male factor, and the always frustrating unexplained infertility, Family is helping women and couples find real answers, rebalance their bodies, and get pregnant before resorting to more costly, invasive, and emotionally draining procedures. Founded in 2020, following one woman's own rocky journey to conceive, Family's innovative online solution delivers the care you deserve with the convenience and comfort of your own home. The truth is, your fertility deserves personalized care, and in a few simple steps, you are on your way to a treatment as unique as your own journey from the passionate fertility doctors at Family. If you've been trying to conceive without a pregnancy for months or years, if you're considering IVF or you've had IVF without success, if you've been diagnosed with unexplained infertility or PCOS, or if you've had recurrent miscarriages, definitely check out Family. You can get started today by heading over to family.com slash get the kit. That's spelled F-A-M-L-E-E dot com slash get the kit and use code fertility rally 25 at checkout for 25% off. Again, it's family.com slash get the kit and use code fertility rally 25 for 25% off. Thanks family. All right, guys, I'm so excited for you to listen to my conversation with Rachel today. She's such an amazing woman, and we cover so many different things when we talk about her fertility journey. So some of the things we're going to talk about are her Asherman syndrome, her missed miscarriage, and why we both feel like that is such an insufficient term, her placenta previa, which I had as well, what happened when her uterus wasn't working properly, and then what happened when they decided to do IVF right in March 2020 as the world was shutting down. So later in her journey, she also talks about surrogacy and what happened when she worked with a donor concierge to help find a surrogate and where she is now. So there is a crazy twist at the end of the story. Definitely listen to the whole thing. She's such an incredible woman. She's been through so much. And like all of my guests, she wanted to share this with you guys so that you felt less alone if you're going through any of it. So thank you, Rachel. Thank you guys for listening. And without further ado, this is Rachel's infertility story. Rachel, thank you so much for doing this. It's great to talk to you. I'm so excited to be here. And the, the podcast has been 
such a savior to me in, in different moments in time. So I'm Aww. very happy to pay it forward if it can be helpful to anyone oh, else. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yeah. I didn't realize that, that you had been listening to it while you were going through your own journey. So let's start with, I know you have a daughter who you had without any struggles, which is similar to my story. So tell me, tell me about that, getting pregnant with her. How old were you? And did you have any issues with the pregnancy? Sure. So I was, gosh, I think I was, I was 29 at the time and we, you know, decided to start trying. And I think started not really knowing, um, just not being on birth control and then being slightly type a that quickly morphed into, okay, instead of just being open to the idea of being pregnant, like, how do I make this happen? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it was at that point that we downloaded an app Ovia, um, and started, you know, just managing timelines, trying to understand how ovulation in the process works and, and then got pregnant. So I think it was probably four months of trying. I had had this fear, I think since I was a kid, for some reason that it would be hard for me to conceive. So I think that's part of why I went after it with such gusto um, and was actually surprised that it worked after only a few months. Why do you think you felt that way? You know, it's a funny, um, I remember this conversation having with, I don't know if it was middle school, it must've been high school friends. Um, cause I think I was the last one of my friends to get, to get their period. And we were all talking about, oh, when I have kids, I'll do X, Y, Z. And a friend looked at me and goes, but what if you can't have kids? Mm. Because she saw this, me being a late bloomer as like something was wrong with me. And I think it just had the, it put this seed in my head that like, oh, maybe something is like. And I also just in general, try and have sort of low expectations to manage my own, um, you know, disappointments. I'd rather have low expectations and avoid being disappointed. Yeah. Um, Isn't it funny though, how something that someone says to you as a kid can sear into your brain and stick with you. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure she has such an impact. I have so many of those moments that really shaped who I am and my fears and my insecurities and all that. Okay. So you did end up getting pregnant. You said after about four months. Yep. Okay. And then I know you wrote to me and said that you had to deliver her a few weeks early. So what was happening? Yeah. So it was a pretty uneventful pregnancy um, until around 30 some weeks. Um, I just started getting insane swelling, Um, like my feet and legs just ballooned up. And so they were monitoring me for a while. And then when I went in for, I think my 37 week appointment, my doctor, he's uh, he's wonderful at being at saying things very calmly. And he said, Oh, you know, your blood pressure is a little high. These numbers I'd like to just do test things at the hospital. Um, so why don't I meet you over there? And I said, Oh, should I go straight there? And he said, well, why don't you go home and pack a bag? Like you're going to have a baby and Mm -hmm. then meet me there. And I went, Oh, so that's what's happening. So I, I was no panicking here. (laughs) Yeah. I was pretty, all the alarm bells were going off for preeclampsia with my blood pressure, my reflexes, the urine, mm-hmm. all everything basically. And so that was at, I think, 37 weeks, three days. So they went and immediately put me on magnesium to prevent any um, seizing or anything like that. And then also started the induction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had had this idea that I wanted an unmedicated delivery and when what? they, they <laughs> when they came in to talk about that, and I said that to them, they just laughed at me. Oh, really? They said, you know, you're going to be on magnesium. You have preeclampsia. You won't be able to get out of bed. You will be able to do nothing to manage the pain. 
So like, good luck to you. Mm -hmm. But I had known my, my mom had had pretty quick deliveries. Mm. Um, My mom had five kids. I was the fourth of which, and I was born eight minutes after she got to the hospital. Like she was an animal. And so I had this like hope that maybe it would be like that for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think they started the Pitocin at 8.30 at night. And at midnight, they broke my water. And I remember shortly after my husband, of course, was asleep and I'm sitting there sort of groaning through the contractions. And I said to the nurse, like, either I really need to go to the bathroom or I need to deliver a baby. Like, Mm -hmm. can you help me to the bathroom or, or, you know, something's happening. And she goes, okay, like, fine, I'll check you. And like, maybe you can get your epidural. And so she checked to see how far I was dilated. And she goes, oh my goodness, put your legs together. Don't push. We need a doctor. And so my doctor was about to start a C-section elsewhere. They had to take him away from that and race over. And one push later, this little five and a half pound little nugget came out and my daughter was born. Gosh, crazy. So it was five hours from the Pitocin starting to her her being born. Okay. So then I thought it was interesting. So tell me what happened after her birth. You had to have a DNC. So what was that all about? So after she was born, sort of nothing happened with the placenta. Um, and actually that her, her delivery was really easy. Um, but the most painful part was right after she was born, my doctor had to basically rip out the placenta himself. Wow. Um, and I just remember she was on my chest and I was, my fingers were digging into my husband's arm because of the pain of him sort of getting, trying to get all of the placenta out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I continued to have bleeding for weeks afterward. Um, and so they finally checked and I still had some retained placenta. So they did a DNC at about eight weeks postpartum wow. to take care of that. And I just sort of, my general philosophy has been, oh, I'll just sort of do whatever they tell me. I trust them. They're very good at this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I adequately understood what the risks are of a DNC. Mm -hmm. So I went into it without really asking any questions. And it wasn't until many months later that I realized like the DNC could have been the cause of later problems I had. Interesting. Um, Okay. And I don't know if there would have been another option. Like it it was an ultrasound guided DNC, which is sort of best practice Uh by a very experienced doctor. Um, But it was after that. So we knew, you know, my husband comes, he's the oldest of four kids. As I said, I'm one of five children. We both had liked the idea of big family and kids close together. So, you know, we wanted to start trying for number two as soon as we could. Mm -hmm. And I think I, you know, finally started my cycle again when my daughter was maybe 10 months old and was like, okay, I'm ready. Um, And I think we tried for six months and something just didn't seem right to me. Yeah. So I reached out to my doctor um, and said, I know it's only been six months, but like my cycles are really painful, but light, like what can we do? And Mm -hmm. so they had me come in for, oh shoot, I'm forgetting the name HSG, like the test where they, they sort of inject a fluid in. So they looked at that and they saw massive scarring from the DNC. That's sort of, so it's called Asherman syndrome. I know you've had Uh folks on your podcast with it before. So it's uterine scarring and it is very much associated with DNCs and 
surgical procedures on the, on the uterus. So Mm -hmm. that's the thought is that from the DNC, like the DNC might have sort of nicked the uterine wall and caused scar tissue to, to start forming. And it was basically like a web across my uterus. Okay. So Uh, Asherman syndrome, you're right. We have talked about it a couple of times before on the show, but it's different for everybody. So what did it look like for you? Were you having any other symptoms other than what you found out when they went in and checked it out? No, I mean, I had had more cramping than I had been used to, but I also knew that people's cycles changed a lot after kids. And then I had had very light periods, which in retrospect makes sense because I didn't have much of a uterine lining. So there wasn't going to be much of a period, but the, the, what was there, it was finding it difficult to get out. And that's what would make it so painful. Mm, Okay. Okay. So then Um, you had to have surgery to correct the, to help with the Ashermans, correct? Yes. I had to have surgery. So at that point I was referred to a specialist who, um, specializes in those guided surgeries and, you know, he's very good at it. Um, and so he cleared the scar tissue and it was at that point, my doctor said to me too, he said, you know, when I was getting the placenta out, it felt like it was really deep in the uterine wall that you might've had in a, a placenta accreta in okay. which even without the DNC, a placenta accreta could be enough to give you Asherman's as well. Cause obviously that's um, sort of disturbing the uterine right. cavity too. Did you think that you were going to have problems when you, you know, what after the surgery, or did you think that would fix everything and you'd get pregnant pretty easily? I mean, I tried to keep my expectations low. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like that method. <laughs> but they said, you know, everything looks clear. And so what they did after the surgery too is they they insert they inserted what's called a Foley catheter, basically a balloon in the uterus to keep the uterine walls apart mm-hmm. so that scar tissue doesn't form. And then also put me on estrogen, which encourages the uterine wall to grow. So after doing that and getting a normal cycle, I thought like, great, we're good to go. And so we did that and then started trying again. And I think we were trying maybe six months and I was feeling eager at this point, you know, my daughter was getting older and I had this, I had this thing in my head that I wanted my kids to be less than three years apart Mm -hmm. because that's when birth order is sort of restarts or something. Mm -hmm. And so we were approaching that and I was feeling like I needed to get a second opinion or see someone else. And it was. I think a few days before I had that second opinion appointment scheduled when I found out I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was probably six or seven months after the surgery. Okay. So how did that feel to see that? Did you take a test or how did you find out? Yes. Took a test at home. I mean, I am a, I am a champion pregnancy test taker. <laughs> um, I, it, despite having low expectations, I guess I'm also eternally optimistic um, and convinced <laughs> myself, but I've convinced myself many months, like, Definitely. It could totally be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I usually stop after the one, um, the one test, but right. it was really exciting and, you know, called the doctors right away Went in because of my history, they wanted me to do an early ultrasound at six or seven weeks. And when, and I, we started telling friends cause they knew we had been going through the process. And what was funny is I told a friend and I told, I think my mom, I said, you know, I just, I know this is crazy to say, but I think it's twins. Hmm. And they were like, very interesting, Rachel. Um, you're not really a intuitive <laughs> person like that, but sure. And when we went in for that six or seven week ultrasound, sure enough, they said there's two sacks there. Mm-hmm. 
one we don't see anything in and one the heartbeat is low. Oh, you so should sorry. prepare yourself. You have about a 25%. At that point, I think they said there was a 25% chance of the of the pregnancy not being viable and mm-hmm. to come back in a week. Oh, it's so devastating to hear those words. And then you have to wait for a week and you're like, what do I do for the next week? How do I go on and like live? I'm actually so grateful for it though, because it gave us time to adjust to the idea without it being a certainty. Mm. It was preparing myself. Okay. I may experience a loss rather than, okay, the loss has happened. Interesting. Okay. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, so I felt like that gave us the, like we could, we could go through the emotional exercise saying, okay, if that's how we're going to feel, what will that be like? And what will we do? And what will we, so we got to go through it theoretically and prepare ourselves so that when we did go back a week later, and when we went back a week later, they, they saw the second, um, embryo in this, in the, um, in the second sack, but neither had a heartbeat at that point, but we were, we were prepared. We were ready. Yeah. I just Um, feel like sometimes that limbo period is so hard, but I, I think that's a good approach to take what you did. Yes. And I've had other limbo periods that actually, I I would say what followed after was in some ways much harder for me because it was a missed miscarriage. So my body didn't recognize it. And they encouraged me to wait a few days to, to let my body recognize it and see if it would sort of pass naturally. And that to me was a very difficult time because Mm -hmm. there's not even, there's no terminology even like, I was like, am I having a miscarriage? Did I have a miscarriage? Am Mm -hmm. I, am I pregnant? Like what, what is this? And the, and the terminology is so insufficient. I agree. Um, I feel like a missed miscarriage is such a, it really diminishes the, the loss. Yes. It also makes it seem like you made an error of some sort. Right. Like it puts the onus on you, like exactly. Or your body did something wrong. It's yeah, I agree. Yeah. I found that to be, I found that to be a really difficult time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if there was better language around it, I even think that would have provided comfort because then Mm. you could say, oh, this is what I'm going through because I didn't even, I didn't even want to tell people about it because it just felt so dire to say like, I'm having a miscarriage. Like I wish I would, I wanted it to be over so I could tell them about it after the fact. Right. Interesting. Uh So I was just waiting for that. Um, And after a few days, I was like, okay, I'm done. Like we want to keep moving on. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's when they prescribed meds to induce the miscarriage, which worked partially. Mm-hmm. And so then I did a second round of the meds, which didn't work at all. Oh, gosh. Um, so the and- way that you could tell it was working or not, like the, the level, the levels weren't going down to zero. Is that how they gauged it? Um, no, it, I mean, so I passed the, like the sacks, but mm-hmm. didn't pass any, pass any placenta tissue. Okay. And they had me go in for an ultrasound and saw that there was still placenta tissue there. Gotcha. And so then they scheduled another surgery, but they said, instead of no more DNCs, uh-huh. they were going to do all the sort of higher skill, more specific specialist type of surgery. And so they cleared everything out that way. And so did that and was feeling like very much didn't know what was going to happen. Could this go either way? Is this the start of a new difficult period? Or are we going to be able to just sort of bounce back and ended up getting pregnant a few months later in November? Mm-hmm. Just naturally? Just naturally. And wow. they said okay. that that can 
I mean, I hear that that's can be more common immediately following a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So got pregnant naturally. I mean, it doesn't feel very natural after all the surgeries, but right. Of course. That's uh, an, an, another, you know, speaking of terms, I feel like we just need yeah. to rewrite all the, cause naturally makes it seem like something's no unnatural. issues or something. There's some yeah. unnatural. Yeah, exactly. Without, without further um, aid, uh, got pregnant with my son, mm-hmm. um, who's now, who was born in August, 2018. Okay. Um, and that, pregnancy featured placenta previa. Um, so no preeclampsia this time. Right. Um, I had that as well. Placenta <laughs> previa, which I didn't know anything about it. I'd never heard of it before. No. And they, you know, that what they told me, they checked, I had so many ultrasounds just seeing if it would move, seeing if it would move. Cause I, having had a pretty, a relatively easy delivery the first time I didn't want a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, but when okay. you have placenta previa, you right. just so have we should tell people problem. who might not know who are listening. It's, it means when your placenta is blocking your cervix, right? So when the time for the baby to be born, there's nowhere for the baby to go. Correct. Um, and so you can risk hemorrhaging or risk, um, risk to the baby um, yeah, and the mom. I remember I, I've said this before, but when I asked my doctor, so what, like, what would happen? Like worst case scenario. And she's like, oh, both mother and baby will die. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Let's do that C-section. Yeah. Um, my doctor is very frank. I remember when, when I was in the hospital with my first and on magnesium. And of course my husband was looking up the like safety profile of magnesium, um, for babies. And he, you know, was asking the doctor like, Oh, I saw this was recently like changed from a class B to class C. Like, is that safe for the baby? And the doctor said, well, if you don't want your wife and child to die, then it's the best choice. Oh my God. <laughs> My husband was like, okay, I'll be quiet. Yes. Now. Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So the, the previous stayed and didn't move and you did have the C-section. The previous date, I think at the end, it was actually pretty marginal. Um, mm-hmm. but my doctor was also worried about a repeat accreta. Mm. Um, so I think he just was nervous about me, particularly knowing that I might have a fast delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, he was worried about me having an accreta and mm-hmm. not being in the hospital setting or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. So he pushed for the C-section and I was fine with that. Um, and so no, there was no accreta. It was without complications besides the fact that a C-section is horrific to recover from. And I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Mm. See, I had an okay C-section experience and I didn't mind it. I had two actually. And my recovery was, was okay. I mean, everybody's different, of course, yeah. but after our son was born, I said, like, I'm not waiting around. Like, what can we do? Let's schedule the surgery today. And they mm-hmm. said, you know, we're going to wait at least six months. Cause I, I thought the scar tissue is definitely coming back. Like it's, it's also more likely after a C-section. And they said, let's wait for six months and see. Sure enough, just a couple months after delivery, we did an ultrasound or, mm-hmm. um, maybe that was the dye test and they saw the scarring again, Um, Mm -hmm. but they waited till six months to do the surgery, which meant I had to wean your, I couldn't, because I had to be on estrogen after the surgery, I couldn't continue nursing. Oh, wow. How did that make you feel? You know, it was fine. I like to think I'm a practical person and I've had, you know, friends who've made all sorts of choices. And I've always said to them, like, it doesn't matter. And this was the opportunity for me to really own advice. 
Yeah. And it, it, it didn't, um, my son had a dairy intolerance, which made things complicated. Um, but he had, I had been exclusively pumping actually since he was two months old because Mm -hmm. of that um, dairy intolerance. So in some ways it was a relief to, to not have to do that Mm -hmm. anymore, but it was just, you never like it when it's not in your hands. Of you course. want it to be a choice that you make, not a choice that's made for you. But I knew in the scheme of things, I wanted to kickstart the process. I've always been a person. I cared much more about the timeline than about the like specifics. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just want another child in my right. family and like everything else is details. Right. So did you want like four or five, like you and your husband had come from? I, yes, I'd always, I like even numbers. So four had always sounded good. Six would be too many. Okay. So had that surgery went right into trying was like, okay, let's do this and tried and tried and wasn't getting pregnant. Mm. And they said, we, you know, it's your uterus is like not in tip top shape. Like even if like most of the scarring is gone, but you're, in some places, your uterine lining is just decimated and won't grow back. Mm. Um, so your best shot is if we do IVF, mm-hmm. but we won't do that until you've been trying for a year. Okay. So, so timeline wise, was that, that must've been hard to, to swallow. Yeah, it was. And it was around then that I discovered your podcast. Mm. Um, and I was like, well, what are the other options? Like, what else could we be doing? Like, should we, you know, they're telling me the chances are low no matter what. Should we be considering surrogacy? Should we be considering adoption? Like, I'm open to anything. And it was so helpful to hear people's stories and to understand the different trade-offs and options. And that to me was a great comfort just to know that there were options. Mm, Good, I'm so glad, yeah. And so I think- you know, we said, okay, we'll wait. Like we can, we can, I can wait this amount of time. I'm committed mm-hmm. to no more than that. But so we waited a year and kept trying the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I was always optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in March, 2020 that the year was up and they said we could do IVF. Mm-hmm which March, 2020 was not a great time. Right. That was the month that the world shut down basically. Yes. And lucky enough, I was far enough into my medication like protocol mm-hmm. that they didn't cancel my retrieval. Okay. Whereas people who started a week or two after me just had their whole cycle canceled. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so we were feeling very grateful And it was very surreal going into, you know, being the only person going into the hospital Mm -hmm. during that time. Right. Did your husband get to go with you or because of the pandemic, did you have to go by yourself? It was like for the, for the retrieval, he got to go. But by the time they did the implantation, the transfer, um, he couldn't go. Okay. Got it. So what did you, how many were retrieved and how many embryos did you have them tested? All that stuff. Oh, this is a great question. This is, I think something like they retrieved and I'm, I'm probably going to get these numbers wrong, but order of magnitude, it was like retrieved 19 mm-hmm. and maybe 15 were fertilized. I I had some frustration with our, with our doctor who he performed all of my surgeries mm-hmm. 
um, and also did IVF. But the reason I went to him is because he's excellent at the surgical piece of it, which is really important. And I felt like his bedside manner and some of the counsel he gave us outside of the surgery pieces were not the greatest. Mm -hmm. And I've always encouraged friends going through this process. Like you have to feel really great about your doctor. 100%. And so many people I've heard, they switch doctors and all of a sudden something clicked. Right. And I've, feel like I didn't take my own advice here, but for good reason, because the surgical piece felt like it was what was most important. Yeah. But when I had asked about, oh, should we be doing like embryo testing or what he just, this was way back when long before we started the process, he said, oh, like, no, if you do that, you, you lose two thirds of, um, um, it's not really worth it. And you have a time delay. And we just never discussed it again. And when they retrieved them and I said, oh, okay, I think we'd like to test them. They were like, oh no, no, the time has passed for that. You declined. Oh, wow. And I just felt like, well, I didn't even, I didn't know I was declining. I never got the choice. Like, right. Ooh, yeah. And that didn't feel like, yeah, I really, I regretted that piece of it. Um, yeah. It's such a good thing for people listening to know, like, ask all the questions, advocate for yourself, you know, but I guess sometimes you don't even know what questions to ask, right? You didn't even know that the testing window was like a certain amount of time. Right. I didn't, I thought you could decide that day um, in retrospect was was probably silly. Right. Um, But I didn't realize I was giving up that choice. Okay. And you had one embryo transferred. I had one embryo transferred um, and took a, I think I was scheduled for my blood test on like April 4th or something, but took a pregnancy test on April 1st Mm -hmm. and it was positive. Mm -hmm. And I was thrilled, ran right in to show my husband. And so was very excited. Um, And when blood tests looked good, the numbers looked good. And then went in for that six or seven week ultrasound and basically got very similar news to the the previous um, early ultrasound where they said, it's not looking good. You need to come back in a week. Oh, God. I'm so um, sorry. It, you know, it's, I know everyone handles miscarriage in different ways and you have to view it in whatever way helps you deal with it. For me, it was, that was never going to be our baby. There was nothing anyone did that wasn't going to be it. The, you know, the circumstances, whatever it was, wasn't right. Um, And I know for some people, they, they like feeling like they have babies in heaven or wherever else. But to me, those losses, they were never going to be children. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, the mourning is for the idea I had built up in my head when I had started thinking oh, and then the due date will be here and it'll be in the same grade as my friend's baby. Right. You know, it's that, it's that, the future you start imagining, that's what you mourn. Mm-hmm. But it's helpful to remind myself that was, that was not a reality. Mm-hmm. It, it was an idea and it's okay to mourn that idea that I had. 100%. Yeah. Um, but I didn't feel like I was mourning an actual child and that to me is helpful. Yeah. Interesting. Um, from a coping perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like it was, I was pretty even keeled about it. 
and just like, okay, what's next? And I, I had said to my, said to my husband, I was like, okay, like, what are we going to do? What's the plan? Mm -hmm. Um, how many more times are we going to do this before we switch gears? Mm -hmm. And he said like, oh, let's maybe like three more times. Oh, Um, wow. Did you have coverage insurance coverage? Yes. Massachusetts is wonderful. Okay. For that. So it would, the the night we felt like it wasn't a financial Mm -hmm. trade-off there. Um, but when he said three more times, I went, oh my goodness. Right. Well, you've already been through so much with your surgeries and the births and all that. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted the outcome and, Mm -hmm. and I think, yeah. And this time around it was, um, it was a lot harder because it was another missed miscarriage. We knew it wasn't a viable pregnancy, but they couldn't get operating rooms. Mm -hmm. And so they said, just wait for it to pass naturally. And it wasn't. Oh, wow. Um, Were you in pain or like bleeding a lot at home? No, I was still having pregnancy symptoms, which like the real insult of miscarriage. I mean, there's lots of (laughs) insulting things, but adding insult to injury is the fact that you can continue to have those first trimester symptoms Yeah, and you have nothing to show for it. Completely. Good point. Um, So I was still in that like in-between place. And even for that, you're like, wait, is my immune system still compromised? Like, can I have sushi? (laughs) Um, It's just a weird, Mm -hmm. a weird time. So I think I had to wait two or three weeks before they called and said, oh, we have an operating room available tomorrow. Like, can you come in? That was my fifth one, I think, by that point. Um, And the recoveries had all been pretty easy for me. I went like right back to just living life, doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I went right back to like working out and and doing things Mm -hmm. Um, and having had pretty minimal bleeding after the prior ones, this one, after a few days, I think I like rode the Peloton and then like I started having heavier bleeding, which was a little abnormal. Mm -hmm. And I asked the, you know, call the doctor's line about it. And their feedback is so unhelpful where they're like, if you're going through a giant pad an hour, like that's bad, but anything less than that is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is just very nonspecific. Right. Um, You're like, what's a giant pad? Like, yeah. And what's like, what, how do you, what about clotting and that sort of thing? Right. Right. Um, and then it was a week after the surgery, I was doing a like video Pilates workout. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of a sudden just felt a huge gush. Oh God. And I looked down and the instructor's like, um, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I am not. (laughs) And, and shut my computer. And I was just bleeding everywhere. Oh no. And I called to my husband and scary. Yes. And I said, get me a towel. And he like, just looks in wide eyed and I'm like, just get me a towel. It's fine. And sort of sent him away. But then every, every time I moved, it would just felt like another flood. Mm. And I was like, pretty quickly was like, this is like, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so called him back and said, like, something is wrong here. We started calling my OBGYN. We started calling the fertility clinic, trying to get anyone to talk to us about it. Finally got a hold of someone and they said, you know, it sounds like you need to go to the hospital. Oh, wow. Um, and so we called an ambulance. I had one, my son was napping. My daughter was awake. We had the babysitter there. We asked her to take her on a walk away from the house. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so she wouldn't be there. And I was, you know, I, I felt fine. Like I didn't feel faint. I didn't feel any problems. So I was saying to my husband, okay, you need to pack this bag with, I wouldn't move. Um, so you need to pack this bag, make sure to get my iPhone charger here, this extra set of clothes and was giving him instructions until mm-hmm. the EMTs showed up mm-hmm. and they showed up. We're like, yeah, we need to take you to the ER. Um, oh got something to carry me out of my house. And I was in the ambulance still in the driveway when my OBGYN called and he said, and I said, you know, like I, you know, doctor, I'm in the, I'm in the, um, I'm in the ambulance. Like they're taking me. I feel fine. My numbers look fine, but we're going. And he said, Rachel, this organ, your uterus is not serving you well. And I don't think you should ask any more of it. Mm. And I was, I, part of me laughed because it's just so frank of him. Um, yeah. That's who he is. Like, and what a time to be saying that, like right. this discussion, maybe wait. <laughs> um, yeah. You're like laying on a gurney. <laughs> literally. But in some ways it was such a relief to hear that mm. and to have someone sort of give my body permission to be done. Mm-hmm. And to the point, you know, a couple of days earlier, my husband had been saying, oh, three more rounds. And I had right. been going, oh, goodness. And so we we just didn't, we didn't have to make that choice anymore. Right. She so he basically of, was like, it's not safe to keep trying. It's not yes. smart. Like you're, yes. wow. Yes. You're putting yourself the chills. At, yeah. You're putting yourself at risk. And mm-hmm. when, when we sort of tried to connect the dots afterward, they thought that maybe I had a placenta accreta just from that miscarriage. Like, mm. and the, you know, the few weeks I had to wait for surgery, it had time to grow mm. more. Mm-hmm. And they had said, oh, during the surgery, we noticed some bleeding, but we like cauterized it and it was fine. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the working out, um, just yeah. increased blood flow enough. Um, right dislodge a, you know, a really big clot and cause the hemorrhaging. Wow. So it ended up, that was one, like no one could come to the hospital with me, um, but I wasn't there long and stabilized, had some, you know, like golf ball sized clots, but then was fine. And my numbers looked fine and they sent me home, but it was, it was, thank God you got good medical treatment, you know? Yes. Yes. I'm grateful Mm -hmm. for that but it was, it was scary. It was the first time, like all of these surgeries and things I've always felt fine and sort of bounced back and been like, Oh, it's whatever, you know, I can do anything. And this was the first time where I realized like, Oh crap, this is a real, there are real risks. Right. And I, I could like, I could be at risk and then where would that leave my family? Right. You're looking at your babies and your husband and thinking, okay, Let's, let's think about this here. Let's put this in perspective, right? Yes. So that was, and and that was probably the first time where I took recovery really seriously Mm -hmm. because I realized the implications if I didn't, and it doesn't take much. No Um, Peloton, Rachel. We all love Cody Rigsby, but you have (laughs) to take a break. I'm not Peloton since. (laughs) Really? Um, No, I think maybe twice. I just, I stick to the weights classes. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm pretty gun shy. I'm also terrible at cardio. So mm-hmm. that's a great excuse. <laughs> um, but you still wanted more kids, right? I mean, and, but you're like, okay, but we know there's other methods. So what happened next? Yes. So that opened up like a very big conversation between us. Um, 
because there's lots of pros and cons to lots of different methods. I mean, it was basically adoption and surrogacy. Mm-hmm. And I have always had like what I care is being a mom and having these kids in my family and having them have each other. I'm not overly sentimental about that. It needs to be my genes Mm -hmm. or that I need to be the one who's pregnant. That just like, it's never been important to me. Right. So did you have embryos left from your retrieval? Your past retrieval? We had, we had 12 left at that point. 12 embryos. Yes. Wow. Okay. But they were untested. Gotcha. So my husband pointed out, he's like, well, we have these embryos. We just went through these process and we have these, it feels like we should use them. Mm. And at that point I was sort of just like emotionally at my limit where I was like, I just can't take more uncertainty in my life. And like, sure, that makes sense. And there's more control in the process of surrogacy versus adoption. Mm-hmm. So like, great, let's do it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I was just ready to move forward. Um, and so we pretty quickly decided to go down the surrogacy route. Okay. And we had a friend who had been, who had used a surrogate and who actually worked for a couple different surrogacy agencies following her experience, mm-hmm. um, having had such a good one. And so we called her and she talked us through what the process could look like and pros and cons. Um, mm-hmm. And that was such a helpful step. And I yeah. really, I, it's now been nice to, now that I'm sort of on the other side, I've been able to be that person for a couple people. Right. Yeah. And talk absolutely. Them through the process. And I think that is such a, a valuable step to just hear firsthand how it works. Mm-hmm. What were uh, some of the things, was there anything you were surprised by that you didn't know when it comes to like a surrogacy journey? I didn't. I mean, the first thing she told us, which I probably could have found via Googling, but was just understanding all of the sort of pre-vetting that's done around surrogates, around the, re- uh, the requirement that they already have children because mm-hmm. they have to be able to prove medically that they've had easy pregnancies and safe and healthy deliveries. And that um, you can't have surrogacy be a primary form of income. You have to have another form of of family support and things like that, that I think Mm -hmm. from an outsider's perspective, things that we would have been worried about that, of course, the industry has thought these things through and they have safeguards in place. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was really nice to hear. And then I think the other just like really lovely thing was asking about like, who's the type of person who does this? What's their profile? And just hearing like, they're truly just some of the best, most generous people in the world. Right. Wonderful people. Who yeah. are, Selfless. Yes. Who are just motivated by the desire to give and to bless others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really powerful and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how long before you found a surrogate? So we, let's see the, it was. May when I was in the hospital. And then we actually worked with a company called Donor Concierge. Oh, yes. Um, I just did an interview with them. They're, they were wonderful. We knew after talking to our friend and having her talk through, okay, these were what her criteria were. This is what people think about. We said, we want someone who's been, who's an experienced surrogate, who's done this before. Mm-hmm. 
because that's really valuable to us that to have someone who knows how to navigate it that we can sort of rely on in this process. Right. But we also knew that that would be a harder thing to find and it could take a while. And I am not a patient person around this sort of thing. So I was like, let's, what can we do to speed it up? Mm -hmm. Um, And so by working with donor concierge, we gave them our list of criteria which the biggest one was that um, having someone who's experienced and they worked with dozens of different surrogacy agencies to pair us with the right person. Gotcha. And sure enough, the first profile they brought us was wonderful. was a, a surrogate who she had been a surrogate three times before mm-hmm. she worked for a surrogacy agency actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and just incredible. Um, wow. And we matched with her in August and she came to Boston in November for mm-hmm. the actual transfer. So did you decide at this point to have the embryos tested or still no? So we, we did. Okay. We decided. So of the 12 embryos we had, four did not survive the thaw test re- refreeze. Mm. Um, so we were down to eight. Of those eight, two tested all normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, two tested something wrong and the other four were either mosaic or not enough information. Wow. Which made me understand why the doctor had said, like, you end up with those no information ones that like, you don't really know what to do with. Like they actually might be perfectly okay. We felt like the numbers were on our side because we had 12. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just wish we would have done it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I too healthy for all intents and purposes, right? Is what yes. you were. Okay. So yes, that's good. We wanted, you know, I would have, I wouldn't have been happy if we would have transferred one of the other ones and had right. it not work out and had to do another transfer cycle. So right. I'm so glad we did that. Right. Um, and I feel really fortunate that we had the numbers to be able to. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so we transferred one of the healthy ones, um, in around Thanksgiving and our surrogate, um, got pregnant, um, on the first, she had a wonderful track record of getting pregnant the first time. Wow. Um, and it was all, it was all still weird though. Cause it's still in the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when she when she first came for the medical screening, she came twice, once for a screening and then once for the actual transfer. The first time, you know, we could have her over for dinner and and feel good. And by the time it was Thanksgiving, November, 2020, it was a scary time. Mm -hmm. And we were concerned for her health, even just flying out here because she's in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And we were, you know, we met outside on a really cold day with our kids to be able to spend time together. And we explained to our kids who she was. Oh, wow. How'd you explain it? Um, we said that we want to have more children in our family, but mommy's belly is not working for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, she has agreed to help us. And so she will carry your brother, our baby in her belly. And the first time I told my then five-year-old was like, it was right before bedtime. It was a terrible idea. Um, (laughs) She's like, what? Mind blown. She started bawling and she's like, but I want it in your belly. And I was like, me too, girl. (laughs) Like, 
thanks. Um, but very quickly warmed up to the idea and we wanted them to know who she was. Mm-hmm. And th- we posed it as she's going to try, like the doctors will see if it will work. Nothing's a guarantee. The doctors will see. Mm-hmm. And that's how we referred to it all throughout the first trimester is like, we're going to see if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. It's because we didn't want to make any promises and have them, you know, have that experience that loss if they didn't have to, if, mm-hmm. if something went wrong. But when, you know, when she got through that first trimester, we told our kids and we told our daughter and said, you know, it worked and you're going to have a baby brother. And she just started running around telling the extended family, it worked, it worked. And they're like, it worked. Um, So, you know, she had a, she had a relatively easy, uneventful pregnancy. Um, We didn't travel out for any ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. Um, which on the one hand was hard on the other hand with COVID. Right. You don't want to take any risks or put her at risk or. No. And I think for me too, I, you know, I was so fortunate to be able to be pregnant two times and to experience those things. And I, I've loved being pregnant and find it very meaningful, but I'm not overly sentimental as a person. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, it, it felt okay. Um, and so, um, she really wanted our, our surrogate had delivered by C-section her most recent, um, delivery cause it was twins uh-huh. and one was breached and she really wanted a VBAC. And so, you know, a couple of the like challenges or things up that things that came up during the surrogacy were, you know, are we comfortable with that? Because a VBAC does present a greater risk um, particularly to the baby. Mm. Um, another thing we navigated together was the COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. Where her, her doctor had said like, could go either way. And she asked, she said, what, what do you want? How do you feel? And we spoke to our, my regular OBGYN. And he said, like, my daughter's pregnant. I told her to get the vaccine, any vaccine. Mm-hmm. That's what I would recommend. And she mm-hmm. ended up getting the vaccine. Mm-hmm had a hard time with side effects, but was so thankful that she did. Mm -hmm. And then also during this time, it was funny um, on, it was April fools of this year, 2021. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh man, it's April fools. A year ago today, I found out I was pregnant. And I said, you know what? This has actually been a pretty long cycle for me. And I said, like, oh my gosh, Rachel, that is so like, that's such toxic thinking. You can't, you can't do that mm-hmm. for yourself. Don't get your hopes up. Like you've lived this last several months, just like happy, not trying, not thinking about it. And I said, I need to get a pregnancy test just to stop. Oh my God. I'm getting my hopes up. And so, so had I, you got, you guys weren't like actively trying, were you? No, or okay. No, not at all. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I'm not getting pregnant. I can do retinol. I can do like, all, like, you know, just really embracing the right sushi. Exactly. All the things. And so I said, I need to just get this out of my mind. Got a pregnancy test. It's probably the first time I've ever taken a pregnancy test where I didn't just stare mm-hmm. for the three minutes. Mm-hmm. I went about my day I, and I came back and it said I was pregnant. Oh my God. Did your jaw just like hit the floor? I, I couldn't believe it. I like yelled for my husband. I was like, come up here. 
Um, and I showed it to him and he just started laughing. <laughs> I like your husband. But yeah. And then I started laughing and we're like, what is happening? Right. Cause the surrogate is how pregnant at this point in April? Uh, she was 20 some weeks. Oh my God. Okay. Or maybe 17 weeks. I think mm-hmm. but we ended up being 23 weeks apart. So he just started laughing. I started laughing. I called my OBGYN, left a message like 10 minutes later, he calls back and he goes, is this an April fool's joke? Right. And I said, (laughs) only if God's playing it on you and me both, Yeah, (laughs) this is, this is happening. And so he said, let's get you in for monitoring immediately. Let's do blood tests. Let's do all the things. And so, you know, he said, just so you know, if anything goes wrong, we're probably going to need to do surgery right away and you need to be prepared for a hysterectomy. Right. Yeah. Um, because our priority is keeping you safe. Right. Um, and so the first trimester was like ultrasounds every week mm-hmm. and just sort of waiting and trying not to get our hopes up. But it's such a funny situation that you can't help but think through the scenarios. It's wild. Did you tell anybody? Yes. I mean, I, it was a really hard first trimester for me and granted we we're, we've kept a very tight COVID bubble the whole time. Um, but like seeing my sister and brother, like I couldn't not tell them because <laughs> I was right. just, um, you know, a blob on the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very fun to see everyone's responses because I'm sure it was a mix of just being completely flabbergasted. Right. And then also the first follow-up question being like, is this okay? Right being concerned for my health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I felt that way too. I felt scared a little like, but also excited. And it was just sort of, it was a long period of holding my breath mm-hmm. and we got through the first trimester and the, and the doctor felt like, like everything's progressing normally, you know, this feels like this could be an okay thing. We're going to keep looking and we're really on the lookout for placenta accreta, but the biggest concern is going to be about delivery. That's the sort of, once you've made it through that first trimester, the biggest risk period is going to be delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm now in my third trimester. Oh my gosh. So you are currently pregnant, currently pregnant. Do around and Thanksgiving, right? Right, Sorry? right, right. Do around Thanksgiving, the baby. Yes. Um, So I'm actually due in December, but I'm pretty positive it's going to be a planned C-section. And they Mm -hmm. told me to still be expecting a hysterectomy. Okay. And what about the surrogate? So our surrogate, um, she was due in August. She went into labor at the very end of July. So she called us late. It was late on a Thursday night. And she said, this is happening. I have slow labors, but you, you know, you need to get here to Tennessee. And it was really hard to like, we were trying to get the flights and trying to arrange childcare and all of the things. And so we ended up getting there Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. She was still in labor, um, which I think it's just helpful to know. So we had a room next to her, she's in labor, mm-hmm. but, and we like said, hello, greeted, but then sort of like left her be because the last thing you want when you're laboring is to be like making small talk or right, right. hanging out, which like, I didn't know what to expect going into that. Um, but she 
you know, she tried really hard after 24 hours, she was still just dilated to eight Mm -hmm. or 24 hours after her water broke. Um, and because she was trying for VBAC, they couldn't do all the normal things they would do to induce. And so the doctor sort of called it and said, we we need to do a Mm C-section. And I was just so sorry for her because I knew what that was like to want to do to avoid that. Right. Right. And so she had a C-section. Our son was born on Saturday at, at 1230 in the morning. Oh my gosh. So when was his birthday? August, Uh, July 31st, July 31st. Okay. Which our six-year-old was very excited that he shares a birthday with Harry Potter. Oh, of course. Did you Uh, name him Harry? No, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she likes to call him that. And all of, both of my boys have, were born with very full heads of very dark hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because I still had this fear. I was like, how do we know they never confuse the embryos? And um, we couldn't be in the operating room. Her support person was in the operating room with her. So they actually, they did what they needed to do in there and then brought him into us where we were waiting. Mm. Um, and they brought him in. And the first thing my husband said was, this is definitely my child. Um, he looks identical to my husband and he looks very much like his big brother. Um, Oh my gosh. So you've got the little girl, the two boys, and you're expecting another one. Do you know the sex of the next baby? Are you finding out another boy? Oh my gosh. So it's so funny because I was a girl mom for three years and that's always how I've sort of thought of myself. And now we're going to have, you know, this troop full of boys. And when right. we told my daughter, I felt like she went through all the phases we all mm-hmm. went through where she goes, seriously. And we said, yes. And she goes, this is amazing. And then she slumped down to the ground and goes, this is going to be a lot of work. Oh. Uh, but she started referring to them as her army and her troopers. Oh, how cute. Very excited. Okay, guys. Oh my God. Are you freaking out at that ending of Rachel's story? I was like, what is happening? I'm so glad she shared it with us. Thank you again for listening. I'm also so excited to tell you guys that Fertility Rally Live is happening on 1023. As you might know, this is our all day virtual event where we've got speakers and breakout sessions and giveaways and tons of interaction in our chat on our hosting platform. We've got a happy hour party at the end of the day. It's our day to educate you guys, empower you, celebrate you because you're such fucking badasses and you guys have all been through so much. So definitely check it out. You can get tickets on our Instagram. So go to Fertility Rally's Instagram or you can go to Infertile AF Stories on Instagram. There's links in both of those bios. The tickets are insanely cheap for everything that you're getting for the entire day and you'll probably win something as well from one of our incredible sponsors. Even if you can't make it live on the 23rd, you can watch all of the content for 30 days afterwards. So you can kind of dip in and out. We have hours and hours of programming. So I would recommend, you know, coming the day of and then dipping out, you know, later dipping back in to watch some stuff you may have missed. But we're so proud of the people that we've brought on all these incredible speakers. So please check out Fertility Rally Live on 1023. And we hope to see you guys there. Thanks again.